We here at the Fumbling Four Network take mental health very serious. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. If you don't like talking on the phone, you can text or start an online chat. Once again, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> Well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lurecast. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me today is the amazing... Don't do it. Incredible. Stop it. All right, fine, Ariel. (laughs) (sighs) And Daniel won't be joining us today. He's still sick. He's sick. Best wishes to Daniel. No. (laughs) I hope he doesn't have the... T-Virus. Dun, dun, dun. He has the C-Virus. He has the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all jokes aside, we do we do wish Daniel the best recovery. And he's doing fine for everybody at home. He's, he's doing all right, but he's quarantining and keeping himself busy. I think he's going to do some live streaming at some point. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, at any rate, he's doing fine. He's, uh, I think he's on the downhill slide of uh, the coronavirus. So, best wishes to him. All right. So, we're going to be discussing this episode. We're going to be discussing uh, the pretty much just the movie of Degeneration. So, last episode, we talked about characters and plot and all that good stuff. Let's get into the nitty gritty. So, what is your take on Degeneration, Ariel? Yeah, I liked it. It definitely it was definitely action packed. Oh yeah. And you know, I love the fact that they introduced Tricell and Will Pharma. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, wonderful because Tricell comes into play in Resident Evil Five. Oh yeah. And this movie takes place between four and five. So I loved their little introduction into Tricell there. And yeah, we only really saw them at the end, but still, that was a nice little introduction. Mm-hmm. A new intro to our new baddies. Yeah. And the downfall of Will Pharma, which didn't last very long. No, in the grand scheme of things, because they started right around the, sa- the downfall of Umbrella. And then... This takes place in, uh, what was it, 2008, 2009? This takes place in 2005. I was way off. (laughs) So, yeah, they had a good four-year run, essentially. And, like, I mean, at least they did develop the antivirus. Yeah, they they did create it in a widespread. I know we had the antivirus in the other Resident Evil games, but it was, like, a very, very minute and rare thing to find uh yeah good old antivirus i mean they even introduced that in the live action movies too Mm -hmm. 
which got us straight straight away from <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that when we get into say, the live we'll action get. movies so I love that Degeneration was the first movie that was based off of the games that was actually based off of the games so you saying that I'm glad you brought that up do you feel like it was more impactful since it was based off of the games? No. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was impactful. I mean, these three movies were the only movies that actually based off, were, you know, based off the video games. They actually stayed to the video games. Everything else, they di- directors and whatever took their own path with Resident Evil. Because we have, you know, the Paul Anderson movies, mm-hmm. which did not stayed by the games at all and then you have welcome to raccoon city which did not (laughs) it did not way away yeah so would i say it was impactful not to any other types of media no Mm. um i loved it and fans loved it because it was you know it stayed to the games and these movies are canon Mm mm-hmm so you get a nice little in-between-the-games type of movie, essentially, with these three. Yeah. And it does it does answer a lot of unanswered questions in the in-between four and five stage. And you get to see my boy Leon. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> uh, what about my boy Leon? Well, I actually, they're all good things. So, I really liked in this movie how we got to see Leon from a different light. Because if we're talking technically in the canon timeline, the first time we see Leon, he's a rookie cop who's basically on edge the whole time. That doesn't mean he's lost his edge. It just means he's stressed out and on edge the whole time in Resident Evil 2. We don't see him again until Resident Evil 4, where all of a sudden he's... Billy badass agent and he's saving the president's daughter I really liked in Degeneration how they personified him and gave us a little glimpse in what's behind that transition because in certain parts of the movie you could see Leon still had very much had a heart it wasn't ever cold it was just distant and he's grown harder because of what's happened to him. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with that. Because Leon was always for the people. And even in this, he was for the people. He tried his best to save whoever he could. Mm-hmm. I don't see the cold aspect of him that you said. So I wouldn't, I think cold's a wrong choice of word on my behalf. I want to say more of like mission oriented in an aspect because when Greg gets injured by a zombie and Angela starts to freak out, Leon immediately doesn't try to run up there and bring him back or anything like that. He just goes, oh crap, you're screwed and gets everyone else out of there. But in RE2, that's not our Leon. 
Arlene would have done everything in his power to save anyone, including somebody who's already been bitten. That does go with the whole, he does have a lot more knowledge on these things, and he does know that it, there's nothing they can do. He's he's going to turn. But it also shows that he's accepting more accepting of these things now and is more mission-oriented. Well, he knows that the dude is going to turn, and if he tried anything, then he would end up killing more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, that was my whole thing. I really liked to see some of the behind the scenes growth for Leon. You know, you got to see a little bit more of his character growth in this movie, I felt. I read up some things about how a lot of fans were saying how cocky Leon was in this. Mm -hmm. But if you played four, you know Leon was cocky in four. Oh, yeah. He... Yeah. <laughs> because people, like what I was reading, people were comparing it to the Leon in two. And they were saying, like, well, now he's cocky. Well, yeah, have you played four? Yeah, it's he's of, pretty funny in that. <laughs> it's kind of like they just forgot about four. Right? How can you? <laughs> but no, he's got some jokes. Some everybody go? Bingo. Bingo? Yeah. Ken, uh, we talk about the jacket situation that I brought up, though. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, please bring it up. Please. Um, please bring it up. So I am a stickler for looking for tiny details in movies that I've seen before. And what I noticed was during the tyrant fight, Leon didn't have his jacket. But all of a sudden, after the tyrant fight had all subsided and everything was great and they were all on this hillside and they were all talking... Leon had his jacket again. So... No, so fans, this was mine and Daniel's explanation, because I remember we were talking about this after the movie. Mine and Daniel's explanation is he has multiple jackets of the same jacket. I mean, he totally ripped that one off in the tyrant fight and just threw it. You cannot tell me it's the same jacket. I didn't tell you it was the same jacket. Oh, I know. I said he's got like, he's probably has 50 of the same exact jacket. If you like something, you like it. And you get more of it. He got tired of the way his jacket looked in four. So he went and got this new cool one. Now, I think, didn't Daniel say that half of it was like the fur line jacket? Yeah, the fur line leather jacket. Mm-hmm. And the other half was just the leather jacket. <laughs> his closet is just filled with all of those. With both up. of those. Mm-hmm. Leon's never seen without a jacket. He's got one for every season. Uh, he's got 12 <laughs> for every season. See? Oh. So, I mean, yeah. That was, g- like, something good to note. Mm-hmm. That he didn't have a jacket. Oh, now he does. <laughs> you know what? I Talking about clothing, you know what I thought was weird in this movie? Hmm. So, Angela, who was just a badass anyways. Oh, yeah. At the end of the movie, it shows her in this pretty sundress. Mm-hmm. Why? See, that kind of that kind of felt weird to me too. Well, like 
I feel like they were just trying to sexualize her at that point because, like, she had this pretty sundress on mm-hmm. her boobies all, like, hanging out. They really weren't hanging out, but <laughs> they were hanging out. Oh, God. Like, I feel like they were just trying to sexualize her, and why? <sighs> That's kind of how I felt. I mean, her whole persona is, yes, she, so, she showed moments of emotion. You know, when her brother's house burned down, when Greg was taken. But in that same note, that doesn't make her weak because even Leon had those same kind of emotional moments in two and in four. And Claire had those same moments. But Claire's a badass biker chick who, you know, can apparently rock a gun like nobody's business. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just doesn't fit the bill is where I felt. I know. I didn't like that. That was one part I didn't like. Just because why? <laughs> just keep her in her, um, you know, uniform. What was wrong with her being in, yeah, her uniform or even, you know, they're symbolizing that this is quite a quite a bit after the events. Fine, okay, but she felt to me more like a bell-bottom jeans you know, badass biker chick too. I was waiting for you to say boots with the fur. Boots with the fur. (laughs) I mean, she, she gave me that vibe the whole time. Like she was not backing down. She had a lot of emotions, but she still was a hell of a shot and a badass to boot. She felt like more of a Claire vibe to me. Yeah. And really that was the next day. Mm-hmm. After everything happened, there wasn't a lot of time passed. Like you said, it was the next day. Mm-hmm. So why did she have to be in a dress? One, she's a member of that. Um, yeah, very elite group of combatants. It's the next day after all of this happened. You, She would be back on duty. Why is she in a dress? Mm-hmm. Why did you put her in a dress? It just. I don't know. I. I just couldn't get down with it. I know that's that that bothered me, and I get you, you men like boobs, but <laughs> it just uh, it just bothered me. It was one of those things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way too. Speaking of things that rubbed me the wrong way, can we talk about Claire's character development in this? It, I get, I get what they were trying to go with with her with the. She took the more peaceful route uh-huh. after the events of two. And really, it would be after Code Veronica as well. Uh-huh. I didn't like it. No. Not because, okay, she didn't want to carry a gun. She took a more peaceful route. Okay. But in the airport, when that slow-mo gun toss, you know, her shooting badass shit happened. That was fucking awesome. I feel like Claire wouldn't have given the gun back. No, she would have... She would have kept it until all of this was over with because, like, Claire... To me, Claire's a protector. Mm -hmm. You know, in two, she protected... uh, Sure, was it Sherry? Sherry. And two, she protected Sherry. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, it was her her portrayed as protecting Ronnie. Mm-hmm. She would have kept that gun to make sure that the girl was safe. Yeah. 
We've seen it time and time and again, even in the newer games, you know, Revelations. She keeps a gun to stay safe. Like, I know. I, I didn't like that whole she gave the gun back to Leon thing because I feel like that's not clear. I know they were kind of I feel like they were kind of going for a couple things here. You know, number one, Claire putting her, all of her trust in Leon because she knows Leon. She knows Leon will get her out of this. And two, trying to display that whole, you know, she's a, totally against as much violence as possible thing. But again, I have to agree with you on this. There's there is no way Claire that we know from the games would be so willing to give up a firearm. Yeah, because we get it. Claire is a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. She really is. But she's also a badass. She's a Redfield. Oh, yeah. Through and through. Yeah, she's a badass. And I think they just went a little too far trying to show a more peaceful side. Mm-hmm. Because she is peaceful. She's a very peaceful person. It's just... She would have kept that gun. Yeah. Most assuredly. And for her to be so trusting of uh, douchebag. Yeah, that's again, not a real Claire move there. I feel Claire would have still been hesitant to trust him. Yeah. Definitely, at least if anything, have her guard up. She completely had it down. She completely trusted him and... On, guys, you don't need a damsel in distress. Come on, Capcom. Yeah, yeah. Get your shit together. <laughs> you yeah. should know. I mean, you have very strong female characters. Oh yeah. In your franchise, stop trying to make a damsel in distress. Sometimes I feel like they want to get back to. I think they want their cake and eat it too with these female characters. Sometimes, I feel like you know they want Claire to be a Billy badass, for example. But they also want her to have the soft, sweet side. And they want her to be a pacifist in ways. And you can in a way, but not every situation, not every scenario. Yeah, because that's cool. Claire, you know, with the whole peaceful, not mm-hmm. terrorist and, well, you know, we're fighting all of this. Okay. You should have left her with a gun. Capcom. Should have left her with the game. I also want to point something out when it comes uh, to the female characters in the Resident Evil series. Not to say that I hate on Capcom at all, because these the storylines are great and the characters are great. But have you ever noticed that eventually all the female characters in the Capcom kind of retire or from the Resident Evil franchise, they kind of retire from their combat positions and only the males are the ones that continue? Well, we don't know because we have no idea what happened to Jill. Yeah, that's kind of... Yeah, okay. Well, minus Jill. (laughs) (laughs) I think getting into Nine a little bit here with this one, I think that's why we're taking the approach we are with Nine, because I think Capcom also realized that very same thing. That they don't need a damsel in distress every time, and they don't need to have the female, you know, heroines, you know, at some point call it quits. There's going to be at least a few of them that go, no, we're going to fight the good fight until the fight can't be fought anymore. Well, I feel like even after Revelations 2, Claire continued on. Mm-hmm. Even if it wasn't a more peaceful way. Oh, know? yeah. 
she would have continued on with the fight. Yeah. Jill, we all, I don't know. We don't know all. We don't all know because, you know, she disappeared. I mean, she's Delta. They don't just give up. Right? <laughs> we got way off track here. We did. So, uh, how about we go to a mid-break here? talk about some cool stuff and when we come back we'll talk about some of the other characters and some of the other plot line developments in uh, Resident Evil Degenerations <laughs> well here we are Ariel in the middle of the show oh my god every time <laughs> I said it five times and now it's a thing yep <laughs> now it's a habit so uh Ariel uh what do we do in the uh, middle of the episode? Uh, we thank our patrons. You say this every time, and it's always the same exact line. <laughs> we thank our wonderful and awesome patrons. Ooh, so I'm going to start from the top of the list. You ready for this? We have our VIP patrons, Cerberus91, Chaotic, Kia, Chris Slate, Christopher Gurley, Donnie Shanks, and... Naked Mango. I love that name. <laughs> and William Jackson. And we also have our all-access patrons, Edward Parks and Remington Cloutier. Woo-woo! Yes, you guys are awesome. Thank you very much. And you know who else is awesome? Who's that? Our listeners. <gasps> what? Yeah. You listeners are awesome, too, because without you, we wouldn't have a show. I know, we wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do want to say a huge thank you again to our patrons. Uh all joking and laughing aside, they do help us to fund some of the behind the scenes operations here and you know, they help us to grow. And I really do appreciate that extra, you know, extra step they took to support us. That doesn't mean listeners or, you know, people who are leaving reviews aren't taking an extra step as well, but I appreciate the, you know, the funds that were given by them generously to help grow and support our show. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ariel, what do you have for us this week? I'm mixing it up. Ooh. Oh, I am. Because in Daniel's absence, I have merch. <gasps> what? I do. I have merch. Remember merch. I need like a merch sound. No. <laughs> so I have brought the Resident Evil Damnation, Resident Evil Degeneration, and Resident Evil Vendetta three disc Blu-ray set. Ooh. Yes. And you can get it on Amazon and it's $19.99. And it is all three of the CGI movies that we are currently going over. And they're Blu-ray? Blu-ray. Did they come with like a special disc or anything? It comes with three discs <laughs> with the three movies on it. I'm sure it's got special features or something. Ooh, I want. I want. We have the movies. Yeah, but that one's got special features. <sighs> anyway, so yeah. You want to buy this, you should, because we're going over these movies, and now you can watch all three of them. I mean, we already kind of covered Degeneration, but, mm -hmm. you know, jump on the bandwagon and join us for <laughs> Damnation. 
Yes, it's I'm ready for damnation. I really am. I never finished it all the way through. What? I know. I'm bad. I can't wait to rewatch it. I watched like a good three fourths of it and then I had to go to work and yeah, it was a long story, but I'm ready to I'm ready to finish that one. Wow. (laughs) So I, too, in honor of Daniel today, have brought merch. Oh, you bring merch every time. Don't even try to honor Daniel with this. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) So today I have brought from teespring.com a lovely Tricell Africa Division t-shirt. It is a black t-shirt with the Tricell logo on it, and it just says Africa Division. And you can get this in a multitude of different colors. I am not going to go through the list of colors that are on here, but it is a lot of them. What's the list of colors? Oh my gosh, I'm not going through them. <laughs> there's a red one, there's a white one, there's a black one, there's an orange one. You can, you can get all kinds of colors. But right now they're actually doing a special deal on it and you can get this t-shirt for uh, right around $14. So if you want yourself a uh, Tricell tee, I would uh, snap onto Teespring. Link will be in the show notes below and go grab yourself one. So with that being said, I know the mid break was really short this time, but uh, I think it's time for us to get to the end of the episode. Here we are, Ariel. At the end of the episode, we're going to be done talking about degeneration. It's very endy here. It's very endy. (laughs) Like, uh, like the games, indie games. Ah. I'll go to my corner. Yeah, go. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about uh, quite a bit. Actually, we talked about Leon and his character development here. We talked about Claire, her character development here. Talked about about the uh, female roles in the Resident Evil series. Let's talk a little bit about the senator. Do we have to? Unfortunately, we have to. Senator Penguin. (laughs) We don't have to do anything. This Uh, is our show. (laughs) And we can choose what we don't talk about. And that's Senator Penguin. (laughs) So, um, something I wanted to point out was Senator Penguin. Have you ever noticed in the Resident Evil series, I haven't actually met a politician that isn't an evil asshole. In the entire series. I think Capcom was trying to get at something. (laughs) So you're trying to push a certain Hmm. opinion there. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, the president, I'll give you this. The president isn't always a dick in the series, but he's done some dickish things. Hiding programs, you know, hiding information. Bombing Raccoon City. Yeah, yeah. There's some... Different presidents do some different dickish things in different scales, but you know, we it's always the same with politicians in the in the series. It's they're always dicks. Well, and they always make the characters like You know how villains always have that certain look that you just look at them and you're like, yeah, that's a villain. Like that slime ball look? Yeah, that yeah. <laughs> he looks like penguin. <laughs> just saying oh goodness so uh yeah there's not really much to talk about with him he's just a total dickweed like any of the other politicians in the resident evil series 
A whiny little brat is what he is. So uh, should we move on to uh, Jack, Jack Frost's older brother? That is definitely the vibe I got off to the doctor. It was like Jack Frost's older brother. No. <laughs> so uh, what do you want to talk about? Uh, uh, gray-haired Wesker. Gray-haired Wesker. I like that comparison a little bit better. So, how do you feel about his character? He was the, I guess, the ideal villain. Nobody suspected him. Mm-hmm. And then plot twist at the end, it was him all along, and it was him at Umbrella, and it was him, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I mean, I felt like they just painted a different version of Wesker on this one. Not well, just I look. Mean, yeah, because... He was very charismatic. Oh, yeah. You know, and before Wesker, uh, you know, just came out as I am the bad guy of all bad guys, he was charismatic. And it's always like the ultimate actual bad guys that are always, you know, eh, like elegant and distinguished and Mm -hmm. charismatic and handsome and you know they're always the ones that are the actual bad guy and he just fit right into all of that (sighs) there for a while I really started to feel for his character because he kept telling the story of how he just really wanted to find the cure and how he wanted to do this, that, and the other. And he was trying to find a cure for the G virus now all of a sudden. And I really stopped feeling for him when the whole, he calling the office for Claire and saying, oh, there's going to be a bomb. I was like, no, you wouldn't do that. You would go get Claire and get out of there if you were a decent person. Well, that's when it really got fishy. Mm-hmm. Because he had called her from the office. One, it was just, oh, I have to go all of a sudden. Oh, the system's down all of a sudden. That's when it was like, hmm, something's up. And then then he called, but he's like, there's going to be a bomb. And then bam, right then and there, there was a bomb. It's like there was, why would, I don't know. There was no actual warning. Yeah. And... Okay, that raised suspicion. And really, the only reason he wanted the antivirus and, you know, for the T-virus and the G-virus is because he wanted to sell them as a set. Yeah. Money hungry. <laughs> Just like uh, Nikolai. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Nikolai's another character was very charismatic and... And handsome. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. He's really the bad guy. I like to call it the uh, the Wesker vibes. The Wesker vibes, yeah. <laughs> yep. So. So can we talk about something I want to talk about? Absolutely. What do you got? Good. It's about time. Oh, gosh. I want to talk about Curtis. Curtis. You know, it's funny. I was going to ask if we could talk about Curtis, too. No, you weren't. <laughs> I love the fact that he was a tyrant. Because I love tyrants. And I don't know. I thought they did it well. It's still weird to me, I guess, that 
they retain somewhat of their humanity. Hmm. Because, I mean, they did it in Infinite Darkness. Mm-hmm. The Netflix Infinite Darkness with that guy. And he was talking, you know? Yeah. And they sort of did it with him, with Curtis, you know, at the end when he sees the picture. Yeah. And he's like, run. I don't want to do this to you, blah, 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 to Angela. I don't know. I feel like if you're... You injected yourself with this horrible, nasty virus. And it just completely transforms your entire body. I feel like you wouldn't have anything left in you. Mentally. I feel like it would be gone at that point. I mean, you mutated to the point where you had a freaking tail. Yeah, there was no human features to <laughs> like, you at all anymore. Yeah, your, your entire DNA transformed. It just... You know, I feel like there wouldn't be any of your consciousness left at that point. I feel like you as a person would have died at that point. But, you know, it makes for a story. So, gives it that little, oh yeah, right in the feels. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to compare this tyrant to some of the game tyrants. And that was actually one of my kind of points was in some of the games we get that kind of same reaction out of the tyrants up into a certain point. They still have some of their humanity up into a certain point. So, yeah, I just wanted to bring up, too, that Curtis, as the, you know, G-virus creature, is a direct resemble of the same mutated monster of William Birkin. In RE2. So... What you're saying is he's basically the same strain of G-Virus that was utilized? Yeah. Like, give or take, yeah. Wow. I did see a lot of similarities there. I mean, the big arm with the claw, I mean. Eyeballs. <laughs> the eyeballs, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a big giant eyeball on your arm. I mean. Yeah. But I'm glad you did bring up William Birkin because I also wanted to kind of compare him to none other than Curtis in this as well because you did bring up a good point when you said you feel like Curtis shouldn't have had any of his like mentality left we see that with William Burkham when he reaches the second phase of his transformation he has no humanity left like in his first stage he's gung-ho on vengeance we beat him and then he goes full mutant and he's just there to destroy everything there's no purpose to him anymore except to kill yeah I feel like they did a better representation of that in the games versus the movies. I feel like in the movies, they were trying to get that theatrical Mm -hmm. um, get you in the feels moment. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, we do see some of the other tyrants types like Nemesis does have the ability to communicate, but it's very little. Stars. (laughs) So it's not to say that they can't be intelligent creatures, especially when you get to Mr. X. Mr. X in the, the in Resident Evil 2 is 100% completely beat your ass. Like, he's yeah. hunting you down. Like, he's smart enough to open a freaking door. Well, he charges through it, but he's smart enough to trap you in a room. Like, 
And he's smart enough to walk away when you bust out the rocket launcher. Yeah, he says, not today. Mm-mm. I think that's hilarious. So, I mean, a Nemesis still shows signs of intelligence, even though he's breaking through walls and everything else. Like, it isn't till, especially in the remake, when he turns into that bestial form. He still retains a lot of thought. Like, he lets you think you've gotten away on multiple points in that game. Well, I mean, you can have a B.O.W. with intelligence. Mm-hmm. But whatever made you human is, should be gone. Oh, yeah. Your consciousness should be gone at that point. It, in my opinion, because like I said, it, it changes your entire body. It changes your entire DNA sequences. It changes everything. So what makes you you is gone. Absolutely. Because even then, we know that Nemesis is basically just a Mr. X variant, essentially. And Mr. X is controlled. Nemesis is controlled. So they really don't have their own aspects in humanity. They have brain power, you know, brain power. But other than that, they're very controlled beasts. They're machines in a, in a, in a way. So, yeah, I agree. You should have lost everything when you reach that final transformation. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, it's a movie. Oh, yeah. And they got to get you in that feel. <laughs> so, talking a little bit more about Curtis versus Birkin. How did you like the kind of evolutionary traits that Curtis took on Birkin's form? Like a tail? Like the tail, the, the bestial face. It seemed to have more intelligence than Birkin's form. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like they did that because of mm-hmm. movie purposes. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I just, I hated Birkin anyways, so. And I felt for Curtis. <laughs> so maybe I'm just being a little, you know, petty at this point, but. I don't know. I liked Curtis's, I guess I like Curtis's form better than I did Birkin. Mm-hmm. So who do you think would win in a fight? That's my final question. <laughs> I don't know. Probably Birkin. Why do you say that? Because he's more of an asshole. <laughs> Assholes always win. I will say he does have a lot more speed and strength compared to Curtis is what it appears. And Curtis's whole, you know, purpose is he just wants to mate. Whereas. I know that was that was weird. <laughs> Super I weird. I wish they didn't add that aspect to the movie. That was why did you need that? <laughs> you didn't need it. No. You didn't need it, Capcom. No. <laughs> I get you were trying to show like it was a more bestial, you know, uh, mutation. Mm-hmm. But you didn't need to go there. Nah, we good with that. I don't know. <laughs> you, did, you didn't need to go there with that at all. No. Ugh, that, no. 
But really, I know I keep saying a bunch of like negative things. I really did enjoy this movie. Oh, it was great. I did love the storyline. I loved the action. I loved the characters. It was a great movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the third time I've watched this movie, and it's still good. I still enjoyed watching every minute of it. Yeah, because I get it. There's cheesy parts in it that you're like, really? But uh, just look past those cheesy parts. Honestly, we've grown to love those cheesy parts. Yeah. (laughs) Nostalgia purposes, because older movies were super cheesy and I loved it. So, yeah. Yeah, I loved that they one. I love that they showed a different a different places like basically their own version of stars yeah I didn't I I totally forgot about that we've talked even talked about it this episode and I loved it too I loved knowing that there's other special tactics forces out there yeah cause there would be in real life Uh you know it's not just one thing for one city like it would be you know police forces like special units like Mm -hmm. whatever I liked that I liked that they um, showed different pharmaceutical companies you know with the Will Pharma and with Tricel Mm -hmm. and I loved that they even though I hate Senator Penguin I love that they showed a political side yeah because it you know showed more of the political aspect of all these big decisions that have been made like the bombing of Raccoon City and everything else afterwards and I like that they threw in a little bit of politics in there. Mm-hmm. I hate politics. And, you know, all these other small little details that you might have overlooked, but when you're, you know, really paying attention to it, you're like, yeah, you know, this that's what made this movie really good. So I did, like, thoroughly enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm nitpicking at things doesn't mean, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just and that can be said for any of the stuff that we talk about on this pod. We nitpick through a few things, but that's what we're here to do. You know, we're here to dissect everything and in all aspects. We love the series as a whole, but we got to dissect everything. Oh, yeah. And, you know, another big thing, like I would have to say my favorite virus is the T virus. I know how generic that sounds. And there are far more badass viruses out there. But it's it's the first virus that I knew. You know, it's the first virus you see. Mm-hmm. It's the T virus. And uh, so I love the T virus. I love that it brought it back. Because this takes place between four and five. So, you know, there's other there's other viruses out there at this time and there's parasites you know with four it was the introduction of parasites and i love that this movie was t-virus and yeah there was the g-virus at the end you know but the g-virus really had nothing to do with any of this that was just curtis it was zombies Mm -hmm. and a different place in america yeah 
So I loved that too, because it was like, bring it back. Bring it back. We got the T-Virus. We got the zombies. And I didn't mind the change in four. I didn't mind it at all. But it was nice to see zombies again. Actual zombies. <laughs> so the last thing I want to do here is actually talk about the zombies and compare them to Resident Evil 1 zombies and Resident Evil 3 remake zombies. Well, why don't you do some talking now? Because <laughs> you spin all bunch of questions at me. All right. So, so something I noticed with the zombies in this movie compared to the original Resident Evil zombies was the Resident Evil 1 zombies are very slow. Very slow. And they're almost not threatening in small numbers. You know, the threatening aspect was the controls and everything of the game. However, in this movie, they seem to move more in gangs. And they are smarter. Because they are hiding in the very first part of this when Leon and the special tactics team come in. They're hiding. And then when they all get into the room, these zombies try to get the jump on them. So that's the first thing I noticed that's different than the original Resident Evil zombies. Because there was no Resident Evil zombies trying to hide in the first game. Now, in three, we did see this on occasion where zombies will kind of hide. So I feel like the zombies from remake three actually compare pretty well to the ones that we had in Degeneration. I mean, that's kind of where my take is on this, is that I think the Degeneration zombies compare most to the Resident Evil 3 remake zombies. But that's also pretty cool because we see the T-Virus zombies kind of evolving in this short period of time. Because in one, we're in the mansion and they're kind of slow and dumb. In two, they're a bit faster, a bit smarter, and they're moving in groups now. And in three, they're a bit faster, moving in larger groups and even hiding at this point. I think that had a lot to do with, you know, uh, programming and like it's graphics and stuff back in the day when yeah. Atari 1 came out. <laughs> Plus, it, you wouldn't think, but having the slow zombies honestly adds more horror to it. When you think about it, because it's like they just move slow. And it's honestly more nerve-wracking than the fast ones. Because you got a fast one and you have to run. You have to get away from it. Mm -hmm. You have these slow-moving ones and you get overconfident. Thinking, I'll just walk around it. You know, it'd be fine. And you're not because you didn't move fast enough. You thought you were, you know, you get overconfident. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just, in my opinion, I feel like slow zombies are more terrifying <laughs> than the fast ones. I, I get what you're saying. The evolution can be a chest to the graphics and the gameplays back in the day. <laughs> but I mean, even when they did the, re, the remake Resident Evil 1, they were still pretty slow. And they were very spread out in most areas. It wasn't until two that they started grouping up and becoming just a bit faster. 
And again, I know Resident Evil 1 Remake came out on the GameCube and it's not much better, but, you know, I get it. But I like to think that they've slowly evolved through a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, we can go with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, viruses adapt. Mm-hmm. A viruses change. They That's a thing. They adapt. So I could see the T-virus adapting and creating these faster zombies, these more aggressive zombies. Well, and this is a super virus. Super virus? Super. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I could see it creating a evolutionary chain that much faster than a normal virus. I mean, almost triple faster because it's it's trying to infect as many people as it can. That's its whole job. I'm waiting, Capcom, for you to come out with some World War Z zombies. No. Those fuckers are... No. Nope. No. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. But really, come on, Capcom. <laughs> you want terrifying? Go with World War Z zombies. So, I'm done with all my questions. Ariel, you got anything else you want to put into this app? Ip. Ip. Because cool kids say ip. That's what we do now. No. We don't. I don't. I got some. You brought Easter eggs the last episode, and I've got some trivia. Ooh. Some just little fun little facts about this. So. Claire Redfield, Leon Kennedy, and Ingrid Hunnigan are the only characters that come from the video game series and voiced by the same actors. Did you know that? I knew Claire. Did not know Hannigan and Leon. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool information. So um, the scene in which Claire and Leon meet is a reenactment of how they met in RE2, the 1998 version, the original. So in the game, Leon runs towards the diner and sees Claire being faced off with a zombie. He says, get down and shoots the zombie. Claire then looks at his face as he offers her his hand. So in the movie, Claire goes off to look for a survivor that she hears running around. She looks out the corner of a wall to hear Leon say, get down. He shoots the zombie and offers Claire his hand as she says, Leon. (laughs) So I liked that because I didn't realize it. I didn't either. I didn't until I read this and I was like, oh... There's another little Easter egg for us. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess some of these might be Easter eggs. There's just fun little facts that I found. So this is the first Resident Evil movie to be in computer graphics. CG. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's kind of obvious, but and it's also the first Resident Evil to be based directly off of the games, which I've already kind mm-hmm. of seen. And it's not an original script like the other movies are. So, yeah, I've already kind of went over this, but I thought I would just throw that back in there because of the it being the first movie to be in CGI. Mm-hmm. So this is the first Resident Evil movie created by its video game creator, Capcom. Oh, my gosh, it is, isn't mm-hmm, it? Because the live action movies were created by Screen Gems and Sony Pictures. With Capcom's input. Yeah, and this was created by Capcom, Resident Evil G Generation. So, and that's another reason why it's you know canon. 
So after the time bomb goes off, Claire goes up to the goes up the elevator to the control room. We can see a monitor on the right of the screen, which resembles the single open eye motif used at the start of the first Resident Evil game. Holy crap. I know. <laughs> I can't believe I missed these ones. Mm-hmm. And this is just a little thing I didn't think about until I read this, actually. Umbrella and Raccoon City have been long gone Yeah. in this, but they're referenced a lot in this movie. Don't know why. I don't know. It just says. But they they really are. Umbrella and Raccoon City have been mentioned numerous times in this movie. Well, I actually want to focus on that for a minute. We we know the timeline is at this point, it's basically four years after the court dates and everything's done for the most part. Because 2001 is when everything just kind of went for Umbrella. And so it's not like they're terribly far gone, but I do get I do get what you're getting at. But I feel like at that point, it's more of like an in-world reference to something major that's happened. I mean, we still talk about major events that happened during our lives today in a lot of ways, you know? I mean, I get it. Like, I understand that. I'm just saying that the movie did reference Umbrella and Raccoon City Mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. So, the movie actually showed some familiar weapons. So, Leon uses the same USP-45 with laser and tactical illumination as the one he used in RE4, along with a Glock 26 for backup. So, yeah, that, that was a fun little nod that... I did notice the Glock. I did not notice his regular gun, though. I do like that little nod, though, that they've basically kept it like his standard-issued firearms. You know what they should have kept, though? Hmm. Chicago typewriter. Oh, my gosh, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, watch him just destroy everything in his path with that typewriter. Do you think it might be a little hard to explain uh, unlimited ammo? No, it's a movie. <laughs> if you can find a way to explain that, you know... All these viruses mutate humans and animals and everything else. You can find a way to explain it. Unlimited ammo. Or the always returning jacket. <laughs> yeah, so they'll find a way. <coughs> I could find a way. So That's it. We've discovered it. Leon's a magician. Oh, God, no. So <laughs> did you know trailer footage for upcoming Resident Evil 5 is part of the bonus material? I didn't notice that because I don't think I looked. I watched the bonus material. <laughs> I did know about that. Yeah. Come to think of it, I did. I did watch the crap out of the bonus features that I had on mine. Yeah. I, no. No, I didn't. I fail. I'm sorry. So. Did you know that this movie is the only 
movie slash game that does not feature Ada Wong appearing with Leon. Holy shit. You're right. I never realized that Ada's nowhere to be seen in this at all. No. Now, I'm not going to spoil it, but she does come up in other CGI movies. But, yeah, this is the only movie or game that she does not appear with Leon. (laughs) Holy crap, yeah. That's probably why he was being so, uh, you know, cocky and cold. He probably missed his Ada. I mean, I don't, I don't blame the guy. I mean, I, I wish I was Ada, but I digress. <laughs> um, I have one last little fun fact for us today. So, Roger Craig Smith voiced the character of Curtis Miller mm. in this. Okay, he would go on to voice the character of Chris Redfield in RE Five. Ha ha. And RE6. Ha ha. I did know that actually. <laughs> and Troy Baker, who voiced a bunch of characters in this film, goes on to voice Jake Mueller in RE6. I did not know that one. Me neither. Hmm. I guess it never dawned on me that. I guess because they were so far apart from each other, I never connected the two. But that happens a lot in this series, too. Voice actors from one game will do, like, a movie that's, like, so far apart you won't really think about it. I know, like, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm like, yeah, that did sound like Chris. (laughs) Yeah. So, Uh, yeah, you know. Oh, Curtis. (laughs) I really did feel for him. I mean, Jesus, he lost his family, his whole family, his wife and kid. Yeah, to the raccoon uh, city outbreak. Incident. Mm Mm-hmm. Just sad. Sad. Uh, Well, I guess that's all we got for this episode. I suppose so. (laughs) I'm excited for next week to start damnation damnation pretty excited about it because you know who's i can't spill it (laughs) damn it well at any rate we're excited to get to that and we're excited here soon we're gonna do another patron chat episode yeah we got a lot of patrons are gonna join us this episode wait should we rate this movie like we did the games i think we should but should we wait till next episode at the beginning to get Daniel's rating? If Daniel ever comes back, if he doesn't succumb to the sea virus and, oh. you know, turn into a mutant. Get out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Get well soon, Daniel. Oh. Luckily, he's doing okay. Yeah. But at any rate. Bye. <clears throat> Thank you all for listening. Tune in next week for damnation. <laughs> Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. 
leave a comment and review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RE Lurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger.